boy howdy those were some those were some interviews last week of all the interviews that there were those were some of them they were really good dude i really they liked were, them they were really good interviews i didn't I, I was curious how the how the domestic blisters one went it was and so good it was so good dude i might fire you and replace you with casey <laughs> davis honestly if i ended up leaving the podcast she would be my first pick to replace me I, honestly she's yeah. fucking great she's great she's the most so wonderful good. and then Kristen carter i liked i don't know i liked how like real she was about like that she doesn't have all the answers. She's not perfect. You yeah, know. I did like that. I like that a lot because that's definitely something that I try to make sure is known that like, I'm not trying to say <laughs> that I'm amazing at this stuff. I just think about it for a living. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Eric in the edit. I'm just realizing we actually haven't posted the Kristen Carter episode yet. Sorry. That's this Thursday. It's okay. It's all right. We're all fine. So uh, we're about what we just said that we had or we, we, we have not yet posted that episode. So it's coming. It's coming on Thursday. It'll be on Thursday. Okay, back to the show. But so this week will be a, a classic vintage Kadiosaurus and Hey Good Infinite Quest episode. Back in the saddle. It's going to feel like season one, episode three or something. Oh, God. Maybe or we had Patrick Waller on. Can we do three. maybe like episode 12 or 13? Sure. <laughs> I feel like that was the point. Episode two, maybe. That was, I was still I, wearing like a, a, I was still like in bed on like a Zoom I call. That, yeah, it was Wonderwall <laughs> was the name of that episode. You was were it in, really? Yeah, you were in Michigan. I was in California. Oh, yeah. yeah. We recorded in the same session as episode one. What wow. a day that was. I know. Well, Katie, would you like us to start us off with, uh, with a, with with a the classic, classic intro? Sure. Hi, everybody. It's me, Katie Osaurus. Yes, hi, hello, and it's me, Hey Good. And welcome back to Infinite Quest. Quest. <laughs> I apologize for that. That was delightful. <laughs> I full on apologize. Oh, boy. It's been a couple. So first off, we just want to say thank you to everybody for your patience with the, shall we say, uh, sporadic release schedule oh, of a, the podcast. There's a whole other organism. It turns out that getting a now. dog is the most it's not a lot it's the most yeah and i don't know how far into like the buddy the dog thing like it learns the term for podcast and please be quiet we're recording i think i think it's probably in a couple of weeks probably a couple of weeks before she learns hey we really need uh 30 uninterrupted minutes of quiet could you not squeak your toy so please 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 it's good it's been a lot it's been a very emotional few weeks it has i'm not mad about it it's been very i i think it's been rewarding i think so i mean having a a dog around is definitely like lowering my blood pressure it's i feel like it's just making my anxiety worse honestly you think constantly worried about accidentally killing my dog hey dogs are all the time Dogs are resilient. If you feed them the wrong pet food, they might like have a gross poopy, you know, for like a day or two. But you're not going to kill a dog unless you like feed it a box of messages or, or you know, like. Yeah, I know. But harder like, than you think. I'm the type of person who will just put a box of matches on a table and not think about it. And that's the problem. It's OK. I mean, my dog growing up, Abby, she ate a box of matches one time. What happened? <laughs> we just we fed her uh, Epicat and she threw up and that was the end of it. Oh, well, that you was know? good. Definitely, to all dog owners out there, make sure you keep some Epicat around so you I can make your dog I tried to grow. buy some on Amazon, and apparently you can't buy it on Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like a controlled I mean, something or other? I guess. I don't huh. know. I was going to go to the pharmacy and see if they had any. Be like, it's for my dog. <laughs> then... <laughs> <laughs> well, so, total change the subject, but on my Twitch stream today, somebody asked a really interesting question. What like, was the question? At first, it, it, like, it didn't seem interesting, but as I answered it, I was like, oh, huh. That's actually quite interesting. But they asked me, 
what the worst part about my ADHD symptoms were. Not necessarily like right now, but like at any point in my life, when was it the worst? What symptom was the worst? Like, how was it affecting? Oh, I see. You know, yeah. and I thought it was interesting because certain things that were really hard for me back, say, when I was in school are not very hard for me now because I don't have to do that stuff. I yeah. don't have to do like worksheets anymore, you know, because yeah. I've built a life that doesn't revolve around worksheets. I mean, emails definitely feel like worksheets a lot of the time. But yeah. But, oh, uh, oh, sorry. You know, you well, don't. no. So I was, I was curious what I, I, I did this long ass answer on stream, but I was curious what. What, what would you say, at what point in your life would you say your ADHD was affecting you the most for the worse and why? Oh, man. I mean, I have an instant answer. Like What's my instant, it instantly came to mind was how bad I was at the, like when I was working at the Renaissance Festival as the entertainment director, I loved that job. I loved that job more than anything. And there were a lot of it. There was a lot, there were a lot of parts of it that I was really good at. Like I was really good, I think, at like the directorial stuff. I was really good at the like, you know, training the actors and like helping make the costumes and like that kind of stuff. But the one thing that I sucked at and I was really bad at was the like administration stuff and mm. like admittedly i was really bad at it but part of the problem was and there's like some backstory here but the way the payroll worked was an absolute nightmare i think i really think it would have been a nightmare for anybody even if you didn't have adhd but the way that the payroll i'm, I'm pretty sure they still do it like this but the way that it's set up was like there's like an excel sheet there's just like an Excel spreadsheet. It's like a list of performers. But like some of the performers get paid like 50% at the beginning of the festival and then 50% at the end. Some of the performers are on like week to week paychecks. Some of the performers get like one big check at the end. Like so everybody was getting paid like in a different way. And so there was like this spreadsheet that was like you would. I, well, and it was me. It was my job to handle the entertainment payroll. But there were like hundreds of people on this payroll, like when it came down to all the different acts and the performers and the bands and all of this stuff. So I would like I had this like Excel spreadsheet that fundamentally just divided like, you know, if you're making, I don't know, a thousand dollars, it's like, OK, a thousand dollars divided by eight weekends. Here's how much money you make. But then I would have to print off a physical copy of that Excel sheet, hoping that it was right. Then I would give it to the guy who ran the festival. And then he would call on the phone, the payroll company and tell them what checks to, to write. Oh. But if I fucked up, there was no way to fix it. There was no way there was no there was no I had no power. I had no ability to fix anything. And so it's like if somebody inadvertently got left off the list or if there was an act who was like, oh, well, I only get paid every four weeks, not every two weeks. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. And the system was set up in a way where I just constantly fucked up. I constantly fucked up. I would. And, and if I needed an emergency check, there was no way to do it. If I needed to change an amount on a check, there was no way to fix it. So I had to be consistently perfect in this inexplicably complex and stressful system. But in a situation where a lot of the people who are working in those environments don't have a ton of money, they don't have a ton of like expendable income. And it's like, if you fuck up their check, you could fuck their lives up mm. for days 
And so it got to the point where every single time it would be payroll, I would have an anxiety attack. Hmm. Like it was the first time that I truly experienced like actual like anxiety where I would sit at my computer and just cry and be like, I have to do this. I have to get through. But it was so hard. And in conversation with the fact that I like have very sort of recently realized how much like dyscalculia affects me. That was the worst. That was it. And that was like right after, you know, and that whole thing happened right after even learning that I had ADHD. That was a really long winded way of saying making writing checks. But it's, <laughs> well, I feel like you I have to contextualize how truly shitty the system is to, to paint the picture of why it was so difficult for me personally to do this thing. Um. But but yeah, it so, wasn't great. Well, if my math is correct, you would have been doing that process and then you got you got diagnosed in the middle of that. So you were doing that process before, during and after your diagnosis. Yeah. Do you think your diagnosis had any effect on not necessarily like your performance, but just your your understanding of that entire I mean, process? Having medication to take while working through mm. the process certainly helped because it at least gave me that like focus where i could just hyper focus on it but it would still take me five six hours to do the payroll you know and it was like every single week of the renaissance festival you know and it was just it was yeah and like a lot of people you know because i'm back at the festival now and i'm hosting the pub crawl you know a lot of the people will ask me they'll say well do you want your job back and like i always say yes as long as I could figure out a way to like not have to do the payroll part of it because it's, <laughs> it's, it's just such a bad system. It's just, and, but it's like what they've done for forever because before, you know, the people in my position didn't have ADHD and didn't struggle with math in the way that I do. And so it was just like, Oh yeah, like you just make an Excel sheet and it's no big deal. And I'm like, this is impossibly difficult for me. And then I would feel bad and guilty and, you know, dumb for like not being able to do it right mm -hmm. and feel so guilty if I like mess something up. But yeah, they were just, it was just, I was just really bad at it. Yeah. It's one of those situations where like the thing is so boring, but the consequences are so dire. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. You're sitting there clicking on numbers, but it's like, if I mess one of these up, then, you know, that might be like a parent who can't feed their kids for their exactly a couple days and that's fucking terrifying yeah like i mean there were a couple of times where i literally lent people money out of my own pocket because like i felt so bad because you made a mistake and you ended up screwing them yeah well wow. i never the only person who ever truly got screwed it actually wasn't my fault but there were a couple of times where people would come to me and they would say like you know, I like I only get paid once every four weeks, according to my contract. But like I need money next, you know, for whatever thing. And I've, I've yeah, I've lent a lot of people money <laughs> because of that payroll system. <laughs> what were some of the things you did to try to, like, get better at it? I suppose. I mean, a lot of it was just like the doing of it, you know? Yeah. And that, that answer I mean, can be nothing. Yeah. That's a well, perfectly one acceptable thing, answer. One thing that I tried to do was was put everybody on the same system instead mm. of saying like. But like there's a lot of like context that you just have to know about working at a renaissance festival for any of it to make sense. <laughs> but like one of the things is that like most of the time it's like 50 50, like first four weeks you get a check and then the last four weeks you get a check. That's sort of like standard at fair. But like everything is negotiable. And like one of the one of the weird things about how contracts work at renaissance festivals and peel back the curtain here a little bit <laughs> is like the the 
it's it's sort of like well it's sort of like well what's that car show that we've been watching oh uh car rust to riches car masters yeah, car, car masters, masters rust to riches yeah. where it's like you know they go into the negotiation and the guy wants to make a hundred thousand dollars and the person only wants to spend fifty thousand dollars so the guy who wants to make a hundred thousand dollars is going to consistently you know say oh i'll do it for 150 you know mm-hmm. and then the person who only wants to pay 50 says yeah well i'll only give you 10 you know yeah so like contract negotiation for acts are very difficult because acts will come in and ask for sometimes a lot of money sometimes a very reasonable amount of money but depending on you know the budget that there is to offer sometimes i can only offer them half of their rate or 75% of their Mm. rate. So there are like these little extra things that I could do in order to sort of like sweeten the pot. Right. And be like, Hey, I know that you want $10,000 or whatever. I can only give you five, but I can give you a check every week. I can give you a bunch of free tickets. I can put you on the marketing, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. these like not necessarily like monetary value things, but like stuff that like they'll add to the contracts in order to negotiate, which are then also things you have to keep track, which of are also payroll. things that I have to keep, keep track of. But a lot of those were like negotiated before I got there. So like some of these contracts and like some of these performers have been there for like 15, 20 years. And it's like, well, yeah, like, you know, so like, oh, yeah, that's Steve and Steve's act. You know, he gets paid like once every, you know, when the mood is in the seventh sun or whatever. <laughs> Um, you know, but like, oh, but then over here, like Susie's act, you know, like Susie gets paid like, you know, every two weeks. But like, you know, we we hand deliver her check because it's easier for her. Like, it's just how it's done. So there's like all this like sort of like institutional knowledge surrounding like the particulars of every single contract. But there's three sta- there's five stages and three pubs and approximately between 20 and 30 groups of actors or acts for the stages plus bands, plus actors. So it's like, and all of those people have different contracts with different details and different expectations. And so it's like, it was one of those things where like, I would get, I don't want to say yelled at because like, you know, I only got yelled at a couple of times and I, and it was, I don't respond well to yelling. And so I was like, let's not. Um, But you know, there was so much of that kind of stuff where like the, the administrative duties were so difficult but the rest of it i was great at you know prepping the site designing the thing writing the shows teaching the classes organizing the student day the student day was like i loved student day because i got to just like lecture shakespeare about shakespeare for like an entire day and it was so much fun cool but you know so it was like stuff like that where it was just like i would on one hand i was like super confident and like super in my element and directing and making costumes and like help like teaching young actors And then there was this other sort of like cesspool side of it where I was like, there's the pile of contracts that I still haven't filed. There's Mm. the, you know, payroll that I've, (laughs) you know, fucked up for the third time this month. And my boss would get frustrated with me. And I I knew that he would like and he was very honest about being frustrated, which I appreciated. And I remember a couple of times he was like, this needs to be right. It has to be right. You have you can't keep doing this. And, and it was just, it was so hard. It was so hard to manage. And it was, and that was the part that I was like always really embarrassed about. Cause to me, that was supposed to be the easy stuff. Mm. You know, the admin stuff is the stuff that you do on the computer. You know, the hard stuff is like hosting the pub crawl or building the costumes or like the stuff that like not everybody can do. Yeah. But in my head, everybody can manage a payroll. Everybody can, you know, remember to answer emails, but I couldn't do it. And so 
I still have a lot of anxiety about like, like at this point, I'm I'm kind of I've kind of become like realistic about the fact that I don't think they're gonna offer me my job back. Like, and you know, I'm 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 sad about it, but I'm at peace with it. But like, there was also part of me that was like, if I got my job back, like I I still have so much anxiety about that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just talk for fucking forever. I'm so sorry. No, that's right. I, well, I am curious. Uh, how long do you think we've been recording for? Just uh, just just from a, a time perception perspective. Seventeen minutes. Wow, sixteen. Wow, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Really? Yeah, that's Jesus. pretty solid. I just well, talked for half the podcast. Over half the podcast. Yeah, there are two people. That's perfect. Okay, now you go. <laughs> now you talk. Well, I think what I think is interesting about your your example and mine. What? I just remembered we have that little analytic thing where we can see like when people stop listening and it would, I just thought it'd be really funny if it's like, and now it's your turn. And then we like <laughs> 17 minutes, everybody just turns it <laughs> just off. Absolutely. Like a cliff. Just <laughs> um, but what I think is interesting in, in, in your example, in mine, mine is for sure um, doing prep lists and doing prep in kitchen work. Yeah. At every restaurant. Um, that was always the most stressful for me. And that was supposed to be the easy time because there's not tickets coming in. There's not, order fire push that one back we need to get a there's a kid and he's crying we need to get him a pizza or whatever like all the stuff that people traditionally think of as being stressful in a kitchen that shit was easy peasy for me that was my element you know um it was the slow quiet methodical stuff that happened before service that really fucked my shit up um so just for some context um in every kitchen um there's basically, you know, every every line cooks shift. There are sort of two parts to that shift. There's pre-service, which is prep. Yeah. So restaurant opens at five. You get there at two. Um, you show up. You make a little list. Figure out what you have to do on your station. Maybe you made it the night before if you had time. Um, you make a little list and you make sure you have all that stuff that needs to be on your station during service. So you know, sliced cucumbers, dough, mm-hmm. fucking julienne, whatever the hell. Um. And that seemed to be, for most people, the easier part, because there's not there are no variables that flying around. Um, it's just them and their station and what they need to do. And they just kind of tra la 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 like do it. Um, that was immensely difficult for me. Yeah. Um, insanely difficult for me. Uh, I got better at it over time. Um, but I remember when I first started out, the, the, there's specifically one example that I, I frankly think was traumatic enough that it stunted my growth in the, in terms of my ability to do prep work and make prep lists because of it. But it was my first kitchen job, re- real kitchen job. I mean, I've been making pizza for a couple of years by then, but it, but it was sort of like a, you know, mall by the slice kind of place. It was, I mean, it was a real restaurant. I don't mean to say that it wasn't, but it wasn't like a dinner service, sit down, super fancy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my first real kitchen job in Napa, California. I got it through fucking nepotism and white privilege looking back um but i uh anyways i was in this job and i was so out of my depths just so insanely out of my depths um so not only when i was making my prep list did i have to know what to do but a lot of the stuff i didn't know how to do i was making stuff that i had never made before Mm -hmm. and training in a setting like that is uh (laughs) it's just sort of like so what do you have to do you have to like go into like the walk-in and like youtube how to like clean a leak so yeah that's generally well, there's, no, there's no wi-fi in walk-ins oh. there's no service ever in any walk-in there's I've no, no, no walk-in i've ever been in has had service so yeah i would go to the bathroom and like really quickly look up like well sometimes they would say like hey go get like the the burdock root 
And I'd be like, yeah, chef. And I would like, oh, and I'm over there. I'm like, I have no fucking idea what a burdock root is. And I'm like literally like just trying to like on my phone, like out of view, try to figure out what this thing looks like, you know. Um, but uh, anyways, I would start my prep list. Um, and the whole time chefs say a big like head chef. Well, uh, chef de cuisine. Uh, well, I don't want to say his name, but chef de cuisine worked right next to me. And he was watching me like the whole time. They called me junior because I was the youngest kid in the kitchen by like seven years or something um and uh anyways not only did i have to get my shit done but he would say are you sure you want to be doing that first like don't you also have to do this he would be sort of double checking me and so at no point did i ever really feel settled on a process um and so the amount of things that were flying around in my head um was so much less stressful than information coming from the outside because it was all just already in there and I had to like stack it together like Lego bricks. Um, but I just, I just remember frantically trying to organize my thoughts to get this project done before service, because if you don't finish your prep before service, then service is a fucking nightmare, an absolute public humiliation nightmare. <laughs> um, it is horrible. So the whole time you're like the consequences of not finishing all this stuff is, is terrible. Um, and you know, he would scream at me publicly and, and, um, I, I lasted, I think three and a half months in that job. Did you, can I ask, you don't have to answer, but did you quit because you were so out of your depth or did you quit because the anxiety of being out of your depth was too much? Um, I quit. Or was it just like the drive? (laughs) No. Um, oh, the drive was literal. I I had to drive an hour and 10 minutes from Berkeley there and back so it was two that's hours too, and 20 minutes that's too long i know right? well I, I bought a car for this job because i knew like holy shit this fucking job like this is the real deal you know um so i bought a car you know i t- well, i didn't have a car when i took the job i had like three weeks and i was like i will get a car um but i think it was a mixture of both i think i think it was ultimately the anxiety i mean i pushed myself harder than i should have um i remember i kept deciding to quit and then i thought i'll give it another week mm-hmm. um and then I would decide to quit again and go, I'll give it another week. Um, and then one day, you know, that I went through that cycle four or five times. And then one day I was literally looking up trigger warning self-harm. I was looking up um, ways that I could break a finger or fingers in such a way that it would put me out of commission. You know, I, I didn't have to go to work that day, but it wouldn't like permanently fuck up my fingers. And I was going to do it. I mean, like I was like, really like, how the fuck do I get? I was so scared to go back to that place. Um, and that I called my chef right then and was like, I, I <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Um, but anyways, moving forward in other kitchens, I kept, I had kept having to do prep lists and stuff like that. Um, but always in the back of my head, I had that chef's voice, um, basically. And I started noticing, I think my poor motor inhibition ended up becoming a big problem because I had such this drive to go faster. So I wouldn't get yelled at, even though in a lot, most of the kitchens I've worked in, I wouldn't get yelled at. It was just this one time that I did. And so I was constantly afraid of that. Yeah. Um, Would you like to explain what poor motor inhibition is for those our oh. dear listeners? <laughs> yeah, like, sure, sure, sure. Awkwardly shut the window because it got super loud outside. Sure. Um, poor motor inhibition is uh, something that people with ADHD generally experience. It's basically um, when a person's brain says like, you know, do a thing, reach over there or go over there. Um, our our nervous system has a bunch of like checkpoints, a bunch of um, uh, it inhibits the signal of your brain saying, do the thing. So basically just to make sure that you're sure that you want to do it. So if you, you can think about 
going across the room or raising your hand without actually doing it. Um, you have to be very sure that that's actually what you want to do before your body will will do it. Um, it's really interesting. Um, it's it's measurable. It's really interesting. Well, you can measure the the signal strength leaving the brain to like a muscle, <laughs> and then measure the signal strength of the thing when it gets there, and it's like different. It's really interesting. Um, called cortical inhibition. Um, but basically, my lack of that ended up. <laughs> yes, shout out to all of you at home raising your arms right now. <laughs> there you go. Um, but my my poor motor inhibition um, made it so that you know basically anytime you move in a kitchen you need to know exactly why um, and so if I was ever at my prep station and I realized oh I didn't grab the onions you know by the time I'm halfway through that thought I'm already going to get them which isn't necessarily a bad thing always but it also means when I get back to my station and I realized I didn't get something else too that was in the same spot as the onions. If I had just stopped for a second and like thought, okay, I'm going here. What else do I need while I'm there? Like it would increase my efficiency and it would overall reduce the stress. And I eventually got better at that yeah. um, eventually. But I had to do that stuff manually, which I think is yeah. a big part of having any mental disorder. But with ADHD, a lot of things that people generally do automatically, like think, okay, I'm going to this location. What else do I need when I get there? I had to like stop myself and stand and take a couple of breaths and go, okay, I'm going there. What else do I need? But sometimes that would then get out of control. Like if I only had exactly enough time to go grab the onions, but I had trained myself to stop and think, then suddenly I'm wasting time I don't have. Yeah. And so finding that balance that to other people seemed to be automatic. Um, but for me, it had to be done manually. That was immensely stressful. What I think is really interesting about both of our experiences, they're very different in a lot of ways. But I think like one of the things that I just keep coming back to is it's about developing efficient systems yeah. and efficient structures like the punchline punchline to my story is that in my third year, they hired an accountant. There was somebody to like actually be in the office to like double check the numbers, make sure the checks were OK, like do all the money stuff, which we hadn't had like an in office person before. So I met with her and I basically looked at her and I was like, sorry in advance. I suck at my job, like whatever. And the woman who they hired was, I cannot stress this enough, one of the nicest human beings that I have ever met. And she was so kind and she was so patient and she would talk me through things and she would teach me things. And like she literally taught me how to balance a checkbook. Like it was like a whole thing. She was so sweet. And at some point, like I had fucked up something for like you know the 10th time that month and finally she looked at me and she was like why don't you just do it differently and i was like what are you talking about she goes well like your boss made the spreadsheet that you've been using because that's how he set it up and so that's the system that you've been using but it's clearly not working for you it clearly doesn't make sense for you why don't you start over from scratch and make something that made sense to you. And it, and I literally had been struggling with this for three fucking years. And and it occurred to me in that moment that I could change the system because <laughs> nobody had ever given me permission. I just inherited this like mess of a spreadsheet and got told like, this is the way it is. Like, this is the, how it works. This is what you do. And it had never occurred to me that I could do it a different way. And so 
I like worked really hard and I color, I made a color coded system and I was like ready to go. And I was like, okay, this is the year, no messes. And then it was a pandemic and I got fired. (laughs) So I never got a chance. I never got a chance to redeem myself. And I was like, and that was like one of the things that I was the most mad about because I, I, I feel like I had finally sort of like figured it out because Mm. I had inherited like, I don't want to say a mess of a system, but like a system that was a mess to me because it didn't make any sense, you know, mm. whereas like for you, you were out of your depth. Well, I don't want to tell you how you felt, but like you had to like build a system, but like there were a lot of like missing parts. So you couldn't have like a fully, you know, functioning machine. Mm. And so like that's like, I don't know, that's the part that I just keep coming back to is like how vital and how important systems are. Mm -hmm. Even if your system doesn't look like the system that was in place before, Mm -hmm. even if the system is something that you have to like sit at home and think through like, okay, what time of the day do I go get the onions? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's a huge part of navigating, I think, life with ADHD. Yeah, absolutely. I think like my, my, uh, the system I eventually ended up with, um, is, uh, well, I, I would always say to people I would train, but I would really, this was important for me. I would say, do all of your thinking at once. So when you get to the restaurant and you put on your, you know, your chef's coat and your tote or whatever you're wearing and you get at your knives and you start your prep list, do all of your thinking right then. Don't make decisions later. Like you are making decisions now and then running sequence because I would always fuck myself once I started thinking while I was prepping. Once I started thinking, should I do this first or that first? Then I would fuck myself because I was already doing it and it just didn't work with my brain. So I would force, I, I, I took probably, you know, I don't know. I, I took significantly longer to make my prep lists than a lot of my coworkers, a lot of my, my other, the, my cooks, friends, um, because I had to do all of the thinking right then or else I knew I would fuck myself. They, yeah. who didn't have it, I mean, I'm sure I worked with plenty of people with ADHD, um, but the cooks that could do that stuff intuitively like they often wouldn't even make prep lists they would just know what they had to do and do it which great on them that's fucking badass but i could not do that yeah so i ended up making i would make three three prep lists and this is where my like brain dump whiteboard thing comes from a little bit (laughs) um and also shout out to john cage it's impossible to create and analyze at the same time they're separate processes so i would do three prep lists one was a brain dump i would write down literally everything i could think of that i had to do um then i would write um a second list um that would put them in locations so like certain locations would be done certain tasks would be done at a cutting board at my station Mm -hmm. um certain things would be done in the back where the good oven is or whatever it is or i needed a range or something like that so i'd arrange them by location then the third prep list was arrange them in the fucking exact order that i was going to do them in um so it would be like if I had a long hands off task, like I needed to bake something or, or boil something or reduce something or whatever it was, if I had a long hands off task, those would be top of the list, like get those on boom. Once those are on, like when I first started doing this, I would write things like grab a hotel pan, which is just this big, deep pan you can carry stuff with, um, go to walk in, grab these things specifically, like walk back. So anyways, I would make brain dump organized by location slash hands off and then organized in the exact order that I would do them in. And that way, once I finished that process, which did take me longer than other people. So I would generally be making my prep list for longer than other people. Um, 
Then I just had to do what this list said. My thinking was done. <laughs> like that was it. I just did what this list said. And if the chef ever said to me like, hey, or can you do whatever, whatever? And if I did have time, then I would just put it in right where it was and it would just fall into the system. Um, but I, I got poked fun at for that, like, because I would end up with three. I would throw out the first two at some, you know, after. But when I was making them, I was like, Eric, you sure got a lot of fucking paper right there. And I was like, yep, <laughs> works for me, dog. Works for me. Can I tell you a thing? Yes. That is exactly how I would put together my list at the Renaissance Festival. Really? Like to a fucking team. Really? That's so weird. <laughs> like, and I was actually thinking, I think I might have, you know, for everybody listening at home, I think I actually have like empirical proof somewhere in this notebook. Because, really? Yeah, because I started buying, and I'll link to them in the show notes or something, but I started buying these like very specific notebooks when I was working at the Renaissance Festival. And it's how I developed like my list making system. Is the exact same thing as I would put down everything that I needed to do. But instead of like I would go by location, but I would do stages mm. and I would say, OK, like front gate, I need to like put up the flowers and the flags, you know, like that I need to go over here. But I would do it by the map because the mm. Renaissance Festival is a circle. So I was like, OK, I would drive my little golf golf cart down and I'd be like, OK, and then I go to the next stop and then I go to the next stop because there's nothing fucking worse <laughs> than getting three stages down and then realizing that you like forgot the fucking, you know, staple gun in the oh, office. God. and You have to go all the way back because it's like a 10 minute drive. Yeah. So it was like I got so good at like grouping tasks, but I would do it the exact same way. But instead of like chopping board to oven, it was like, you know, Marrakesh to like, you know the royal pavilion <laughs> that's we. i love that i like that we both independently came up with that yeah well because ultimately it's it's you know that's you know you can only be in one place at a time yeah so consolidating yeah. based on where you are and how far your arms can reach or whatever yeah, the fuck's true you know. i get hurt all the time would you really <laughs> yeah because every year i would sustain some really stupid injury because i was i was like rushing to finish something my first year i stepped on a nail the, the night before opening it was like 10 p.m of uh, before opening and i stepped on a nail second year i almost broke my ankle because i missed a step because i was carrying like 14 signs because i only wanted to make one trip and then i like <laughs> almost broke my ankle the third the third year i don't i oh i almost dropped a speaker on my head like it was like there's always some dumb Jeepers. injury because i would just like i didn't want to like go back for something so i'd always like take unmitigated risks because i was like <laughs> trying to like speed through <laughs> um well katie uh it is is about that time is it yeah thanks for thanks for hanging out with me today and telling me telling me about the stuff you're welcome I appreciate it eric you hang out with me literally <laughs> every day i know but i still appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> so um, weird all right dear listener thank you so much for for being here today uh stay tuned for another episode up on thursday um and we will and this is a promise remember to do the patreon we will song do the patreon it is song. going to be the longest patreon song it's gonna be a long but boy. That's this is this is your reminder that if you would like to support the work that we're doing and like to support our mission of advocacy and education, consider joining the Patreon. Also, Eric's birthday is next week. And if you want to, oh, shit, it, is, yeah. it is your birthday next week. And so if you want to, you know, send Eric a little a little something in my P.O. box, you can do that, too. I'll make sure Eric gets it. You know, just do whatever. But I just thought I would let you know it's Eric's birthday next well, week. Well, thanks, everybody. Also, patreon.com slash infinite quest. Oh, yeah, thanks. Is the link. I forgot. <laughs> Fade out.